Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Ireland sits on the western edge of a large landmass. Quite close with its neighbours, it shares its flora and fauna with other European countries. Aotearoa New Zealand spun out on its own 80 million years ago. Lacking mammals, except for two small bats, birds there went off in their own direction. Which island ended up the richer, the weirder, the better off for birds? Today, we pit island against island, bird against bird, to determine the inaugural winner of the Great Ireland versus New Zealand Bird Off. Welcome to this special bird-off edition of Our Changing World. New Zealand is known for its birds, but is it all feathers and no fly? How do Aotearoa avifauna stack up against those from the Emerald Isle? This was the question never asked, that we decided desperately needed answering. Today I'll be acting as host self-appointed adjudicator and breaker-up of brawls, because there's nothing more likely to get fiery than pitting two bird nerds against each other. You'll have noticed that I'm Irish, and obviously I live in New Zealand. So for me, this is all kinds of personal. But two conflicts of interest cancel each other out, right? Let's meet the representatives. Putting forward the case for Ireland will be Ricky Whelan. Okay, Ricky is the Biodiversity Officer at Offaly County Council. From the very, very centre of the country, and I've spent the last 15 years as a environmentalist, nature conservationist, ornithologist. Flying the New Zealand flag is Jamie McCauley, Conservation Biologist at the Department of Conservation in Tiana. Kia ora, yeah, so I work with a range of different threatened species in New Zealand, um, work with kia, work um, a little bit with kiwi, big fan of the old rock wren, and I've worked with a bunch of different other New Zealand bird species and conservation programs kind of all all over the North and South Island. How this works is that each representative will put forward a candidate bird per category. The categories have been arbitrarily created by me and I will judge and award points to the bird I deem the winner. As chosen by their representatives, points for Ireland will be celebrated by the call of the hooded crow. (coughs) And for New Zealand, the Kia warble call. (coughs) First though, I asked for the quick pitch. Why do they believe that their nation should be crowned the champ? Shoved off the edge of Europe, much maligned little island nation and we're hanging in there. We're the first sort of guys you're going to hit on the way from America and the last guys you're going to hit on the way out of Europe. So we've got a lot of responsibility on our edge of the world where lots of birds sort of come and go and hang out here winter and summer. So we got a, we got some guys to look after here, yeah. Ooh, trying to out-edge the world us. Uh, look, I think New Zealand is a nation of birds. Uh, we are we are the land of birds. Um, and I will clearly demonstrate this over the next uh, fascinating podcast episode. Time for our first category, 
the biggest? The biggest bird in Ireland is really very much depends on if we're going for wing length, weight or tallness. So it actually is the mute swan which is the most common of our swans, possibly the most boring of our swans. But very close competitor would be the white-tailed sea eagle, which people would probably prefer because it's a lot more charismatic and deadly. So I would say uh, the mute swan has a seven foot plus wingspan, whereas the white-tailed sea eagle has an eight foot wingspan and would be described as a flying barn door. For background, we can only, in Ireland, we can only reclaim white-tailed sea eagle on our list from about a decade ago when they're reintroduced to the island. Um, But yeah, I'm happy, absolutely happy to put white-tailed sea eagle ahead. So coming in at a, a, a seven kilograms and an eight foot wingspan, pretty big bird. All right, Ireland's competitor has been set forth. Jamie, what have you got? Well, you know, like New Zealand's got big birds. We, we that's that's our thing, right? We got giant megafauna that you know inhabited this land. You know, the South Island giant mower is the obvious example here. It's going to dominate the weight category, like two hundred kilos, three point six meters. You know, this is this is the big boy wingspan. <laughs> wingspan's going to catch me up, but I wasn't expecting that. But um, but you know, I reckon I, I reckon I'm safe on this. New Zealand's got that. That's a solid point. And you can only call wingspan if the bird can actually fly with its wings. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Also, are you putting forward an extinct bird, Jamie? We're going to have to check the competition rules here. Uh, yeah, I didn't have an extensive look through the rule book, but I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's all right. Are we, are we, I mean, if we want to go extinct, extinct, we can go Hast Eagle Giant, you know, largest raptor ever to live, 4.5 metre wingspan, you know, used to prey on the mower. And I have nothing to offer, even if we go back into the extinct category, because Whitetail Seagull winning within geological history is still the the largest, really, more or less. Why is this? So why did Aotearoa New Zealand have such massive birds? Yeah, it's interesting, eh? Because, um, you know, within sort of island biogeography or like the happening of biological things across the planet, you know, islands that have been isolated for a long time, they sort of go off on their own kind of ecological bend, if you like. They really get into like island giganticism is a thing that, you know, you think of um, the dodo, the um, Galapagos giant tortoise, they sort of isolated from, you know, different ecological conditions, like say common predators or different things that might um, drive the ecology of the animal. They kind of just happen out on their own. And so New Zealand as a isolated archipelago down here in the South Pacific, we sort of got these crazy big birds and you know, Island, not so much, I guess. And what you were saying there at the start, Ricky, about the white-tailed eagle actually returning to Ireland, I mean, that's something that can't happen for many of the birds in New Zealand, right, Jamie? Because they're endemic, they're only found here, they're not getting shared with anything else. Whereas in Ireland, because of the close geographical proximity to Europe, you actually share many of your birds. Yeah, we share nearly all of our birds elsewhere. So if they do go extinct, we've got other populations we can pull from. But from a genetic point of view, probably not the sort of best thing you can do. But at some in some cases, it's the only thing you can do. So we can just reach over to our Norwegian friends and say, look, can we, we borrow some of those eggs and everything else. But like you say, in New Zealand, you can't because you're, you're very uh, individual and bespoke on that front. So, yeah. After our bird-off team of researchers combed through the extensive competition rulebook, 
it was determined that extinct birds are in fact not allowed, immediately putting New Zealand at a disadvantage. Oh, so many of my birds that I've written down are extinct. The point is awarded to the white-tailed sea eagle, giving Ireland the early lead. <coughs> On to the next category, from the biggest to the smallest. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so this, this one I've got. Our smallest bird species is the rifleman in New Zealand, Titipornamu. It is this darling little thing. It is just so tiny. I've actually held one of these in my hand when I was doing some research um, up in a place called the Balloon Plateau in Kahurangi National Park. We were catching some birds to try and estimate how many of these things are getting eaten by invasive predators. And I, and I caught one and it was it was snowing at the time. It was, it was just freezing in this tiny little bird and having to having to try and take a blood sample from under the wing with the the, the tiniest little bird and the even tinier little little needle to try and take and I just felt this immense weight of responsibility of sort of this is what we as humanity have this ability to affect all these other species in a positive or negative way and so these are our favourite bird. They are fantastic. They weigh the same amount as a as a box of matches. And I know this because I went last night and I and I put my box of matches onto that. And I actually had to take a few matches out to get it down to the weight of a rifleman. So a box of matches minus a few rifleman titipornamu. Fantastic little bird. Be that. Yeah, I see a rifleman. So if you asked any Irish man on the street what the smallest bird in Ireland was, they would say wren. But in actual fact, the smallest one is a little guy, much cooler, very, very similar sort of love for it as Jamie has for the rifleman in the Goldcrest, which ranges between five and seven grams and just like tiny little wingspan, 15 sort of centimetres. So they're mini-me's and they can spend their entire life in one conifer tree where they just survive in this little micro sort of ecological niche that they have in there just feeding on tiny little insects and invertebrates picking along the bark and they make this really, really high-pitched ascending call. And once you're kind of 18 plus, the pitch is so high you can lose the ability to hear it sort of quite a bit. So I'd be leading walks bird song walks I'd be like pointing into some conifer trees going oh there's the goldcrest there's the goldcrest and I've lost half my audience they're like he's making it up um, <laughs> but these guys they're, they're really special and we have a really special species of tree in Ireland in the Irish yew which is a conifer tree and we traditionally planted them in graveyards because they're poisonous to herbivorous mammals so they would keep sort of grazing animals out of the graveyard so in every graveyard you've a little population of goldcrests and I think it's a really nice little connection there but size wise they're not I would say or there, thereabouts. If the rifleman and the goldcrest were jockeys, the goldcrest would be just carrying a tiny, tiny, tiny handicap. Uh, do we know what the weight of a box of matches is? Ricky's given us some grams here. Did you did you get a uh, gram amount for your box of matches minus a few matches? Yeah, I actually I actually looked up in my field notebook to see when I had that that rifleman. How much did it weigh? Um, and it was it was six point five grams that particular one, but they, they between about five and, and eight point five other riflemen. So mm. okay, so we're kind of neck and neck. Okay, here. I, have some, I have something to add. I have something to add. The goldcrest, so called, because he has a wicked yellow mohawk. Ooh, the rifleman 
two different yarns for the rifleman name. One is that they, they've got a green jacket, sort of, which is sort of similar to, to what they called the rifleman that had come across as part of the colonial force from the UK. Uh, the second one, which I prefer to like a bit more, is that they sort of... Um, as they're foraging, you watch them, you're looking up into the canopy and watching them forage around a tree and they sort of rifle around the tree as in they, they make a spiralling foraging pattern, which is the same as a bullet does within a rifle barrel, which is quite pretty in itself. So uh, not a small fact, but a, a fact, you know, <laughs> that's a point in that easy. I just Googled what he looks like. He's essentially a gold crest without the, the crest. <laughs> I would... G- given given that I romped home with the first category, I think we can give this one to the Rifleman. That crest probably weighs a little bit too. <laughs> Ricky with perhaps some overconfidence there, actually handing points to New Zealand. <laughs> Will he rue this decision later? It's level pegging as we move into the third category, the smartest. We have a couple of contenders here and kind of I'm putting forward a family rather than a species. But if I'm forced, I can pick a species from the family. So I'm going with the Corvidae, which is the crow family. Corvidae, there are hundreds in the sort of world. um, And that includes the sort of true crows, the jays, the magpies and the nutcrackers. In Ireland, we've got seven of those. So we'll do pretty well. And of those, the Corvus, the true crows, there's only 40 something in the world. And we've got five of those. So we do well for crows. Um, we can get into why. You know, there short. are crows everywhere. There are, there are. We do well for crows. But crows, much maligned, but they're also super intelligent. And maybe one of the reasons why they've become a bit maligned because they're quite clever and they get into places they shouldn't. And they do quite well, which nobody likes sort of, you know, this sort of the guy that's doing well, do they? You just want to sort of see things go bad for them. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and whatever it's called, schadenfreunde or whatever, you, you know, you sort of someone's suffering. So tall poppy syndrome is a thing in both nations, it seems. But back to the Corvidae family. There is no crow on this planet that has a PhD. So they're not intelligent in the point of IQ, but they are intelligent in that they can solve novel problems quite readily. So, for example, other clues are that they pass the mirror test, which is if you put one in front of the mirror, it knows it's it's itself, it's looking at it. It doesn't think it's sort of another crow and start fighting with it or whatever. So what they do to test that is they put like a, a piece of paint on the forehead of the bird that they couldn't see any other way, only from the mirror. And straight away, it'll start scratching at its head trying to get the red dot off. That proves the point. And there's only few animals that can do that, including dolphins and, and some other things we, we consider quite intelligent. Another thing that is a good clue is that, that they're very good mimics and they're very good mimics of human speech. So ravens are famous for that. Magpies are, of course, famous for having lots of phrases of they can do car alarms, they can do screaming children, they can do sort of TV sets. Another thing is that they're quite social and they've got social and complex societies, which is always a good indicator. And for years, the humans thought we were the only ones that had proper societies uh, that otherwise they were just forming sort of flocks to sort of just hang out or just to be near people to mate with or whatever but there's much more to it than that and then of course I suppose back then to the novel like, I mean they can solve all sorts of problems they can displace water to get to, to food items quicker they can you know solve little complex tests to get to, you know rewards all sorts of stuff they even are seen to use tools now fashion tools to fish grubs and stuff out of out, out of like pieces of timber or whatever so yeah corvids if they had hands they'd probably evolved to be sort of our overlords by now and if I forced you to pick a species the raven so we've got the raven the northern raven is our guy 
and there are nine or ten species of ravens in the world. Northern ravens are, and they're big whoppers, intelligent species, and yeah, they're, they're super cool. Okay, Jamie, Ricky has put forward the northern raven, but we don't actually have any native New Zealand ravens to kind of counter with, do we? Ah, uh, no New Zealand natives. Well, the extinct rule is really, really hampering us here. We did have a New Zealand raven back in the eons of time. Um, was associated with seal rookeries, we think, and seabird colonies. But um, presumably, as as they've declined with the presence of humans in New Zealand, so too went the COVID. But there's a lot of parallels in this story between my entry here, very strong entry, very smart entry, the Kia, the alpine parrot here in New Zealand. Very smart bird. I actually did find some stuff. Uh, I found a little a magazine article, Who's Smarter, the Crow or the, or the Kia? Speaking more about the, the New Caledonian Crow. Yeah, but uh, interesting you say about the mirror test because um, a recent piece of research came out with the Kia where same sort of idea where they were sort of trying to see if they could um, get them to recognize something else but using iPads they taught the Kia to kind of like be able to talk to each other on iPad between two cages which um, next level of the mirror test will just get them Skyping their friends they're uh, also moving uh, with the times yeah yeah that's right I'd like I'd like to see the you know like Irish crows just sort of modernize a little bit you know with the with the Kia here in New Zealand, there's been some, um, like they do get up to mischief. Some of the alpine huts, there's been examples where they've locked someone in the toilet of an alpine hut um, and he's been stuck in there until someone can come and undo the latch. Uh, there's a, a site uh, near where I live where a tunnel goes through, um, through down to a, a field system, a road tunnel, and there's some traffic lights at that tunnel. Someone kept messing around with the road cones and and changing the road lanes, and the cars kept always doing this funny thing, and they couldn't figure it out because it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. There's not there's not like teenage hoodlums hanging around, and they looked on the security cameras above this tunnel and found these gangs of kind of Kia hoodlum teenagers coming in and dragging these road cones, you know, heavy, big, full size road cones, dragging them around with their bills, just presumably just for kind of just for giggles, just for entertainment, making the <laughs> the buses swerved through to and fro. So definitely one of the smarter species. Also interesting, super interesting, also have um, recently been shown to use tools. So this was a thing that, um, you know, we think back to Jane Goodall. One of the big things was that she showed that it wasn't just humans that are capable of developing and using tools. Um, and Kia too have um, been shown to use use tools to access novel food and rewards and things. So... Yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. Um, Kia are smart enough not to be the most maligned birds in New Zealand. They're sort of, they, you know, they're like on the edge for, for a lot of people. They rip a hole in your tent and you get pretty upset at them. But um, they're, still, they're still pretty well loved, which is a smart move, I'd say. Eh? Have they just like stayed just properly scarce enough to keep them sort of rare and a little bit sort of like curious? Rather than crows, which are just everywhere. They're just falling out of every tree in the country here. And we just like, get rid. I was going to say, Jamie, not always like that, right? Because I remember a heap of Kea beaks in Otago Museum, which were collected back in the days when they thought that they were taking out sheep. And so that they people were getting paid to deliver Kea beaks. Yeah, that's a bit of a warning sign, eh, for New Zealand. So previously we had... Um, the 
Department of Internal Affairs in New Zealand would pay farmers to collect these bills because um, a group of Kia had begun a behaviour where they learnt that they could perch on the back of um, sheep, live sheep, um, and eat the fat out from around their their kidneys. Um, and this led to really widespread campaign against Kia, and we actually shot over 160,000 or, or killed in different various different ways, 160,000 Kia um, until they were finally, the bounty was removed, and then finally they were made protected, and we, we spent a whole lot of money to try and save them and keep them on the planet. So perhaps it is a effect of numbers that if they were everywhere, you know, and, and as we start planning for the conservation of this species, you know, I'm involved with work looking at how do we get the numbers back up. Certainly part of that program is thinking how do we live alongside these things harmoniously and not, um, there's still a lot of conflict scenarios where, you know, I had a um, call from a very upset fisherman who had his... Um, fancy navigation device, $20,000 worth of navigation on his boat that um, the Kia was quite keen to play with and fiddle around with and had yanked wires and he was um, pretty concerned. So there's, you know, yeah, smarts won't always get you there, eh? It'll always sometimes uh, get you into trouble. And what kind of conflicts happen here in Ireland, Ricky, between crows and humans? Because, you know, we're talking about a smaller landmass, same kind of population size. So people here are, and large numbers of Corvids. So people here are kind of more closely... Yeah, so each of the species probably has their own thing that they tend to do. So jackdaw, which is a small little diminutive crow, it nests in chimneys. And like it's all, well, it was up until very, very recently, like majority of, of it was turf fired, like fires and you're, you're heating the house. So you would discover sort of in early spring when your sitting room fills with sort of smoke that you've got a jackdaw's nest in your chimney and they fill it with like loads of sticks as a massive fire hazard started like piles, hundreds of thousands of chimney fires over the years. So the jackdaws do a bit of that. Rooks would be very much seen as an agricultural pest and there's an open licence on them more or less. And then the likes of the hooded crow would have similar, I suppose, to ravens in a way but the ravens are less densely populated. So hooded crows or grey crows or scald crows as they're known would be known to pick the eyes out of young lambs which I'm sure they would find conflict in New Zealand quite quickly for that reason and the theory is that it's actually it's the sick or dying lambs that they remove the eyes from because they don't really have the hardware to take down a lamb to actually pick its eyes so they, you know they'll land on a dead or dying lamb and pick its eyes and the farmer comes out of his house and sees it and he's going you know shoot the crows and uh so they are a pest. They're also a pest of ground nesting species. And as a conservationist, you're kind of say, you know, you're choosing one bird's life over another in that you're kind of going, you're, it's an open license on grey crows because they'll eat much rare bird's eggs. So there, that's a conflict and there's an ethical issue and there's an ongoing debate about that with certain species. And people don't like it. Like, you, you, know, you call yourself a conservationist, but yet you go out and, and shoot a grey crow. It's, it's, it's complex. Sidebar, interestingly, this is an issue for New Zealand too. Non-native rooks were introduced in the 1860s to control insect pests, but instead became agricultural pests themselves. They're listed as an unwanted organism and several regional councils have eradication programs aimed at them. But back to the category at hand. And this is a close one. That research paper that Jamie mentioned, it's got some really neat videos of the New Caledonian crows and Kia solving puzzles to get snacks out of a box. It's well worth a look. We'll share the link on our webpage. But for mischief, mayhem, and traffic cone pranks, I'm handing the win to the Kia. It's 2-1 to Aotearoa New Zealand as we head into our final category. 
the most connected bird. We've got two island nations, but birds don't deal in country boundaries and they can cross oceans. What bird puts their nation on the international map? Now, I was tempted here to go for sort of the, the Barthold Godwits or something, some of these, you know, globally travelling birds, you know, that flyways that span from Alaska to New Zealand and, you know, travel the world. But here, I actually came up with something a bit different. You know, the digital age is here and some of our bird species have gone sort of gone global. We've got two really good examples. One, in Autopoti Dunedin, we've got the Royal Cam, which is a live webcam service on the nest of a um, Southern Royal Albatross. This thing has sort of like blown up and gone bonkers like at any point you can log in day or night they've got a thermal infrared thing where you can log in at night you can zoom in on the camera you can see what the chicks are doing you can see and and they're getting like 2.3 million views from 190 countries to log in and see what's happened um you know you, they've got like even it gets nerdier even like you know, as a conservationist, often when we're monitoring nests and trying to understand how the bird's doing, one of the big things, we, we talked about it before, was um, weighing the birds and see, tracking the weight, just like a mum might track the baby and see that it's it's coming into safe, you know, it's good it's at the right weight and in the right percentile. We do the same things with birds. And on the Royal Cam website, you can actually go on and track the chick's weight and check, oh, yeah, no, they're doing all right. Or, oh, mum needs to feed it a little bit more. It's got 50,000 comments in there. Like, this thing's become like this bigger than Reddit. Like, you can go in and, and have a big bird off ch- chats with your, your mates and, um, you know, anywhere around the world. But the one real standout in this category for me is is Sirocco, the spokesbird, you know. This is a kakapo, uh, uh, you know, and he really shot to... In, in kind of classic viral nature, you know, Sirocco really shot to fame with a, a sex video, you know. <laughs> it was when he um, tried to mate with, with Mark Carverdine's head um, and Stephen Fry was sitting in the background laughing that that really shot him into the international light, you know. Millions of people have watched that video. Jamie bringing out the big guns. The only mainland colony of albatrosses in the world at Tairoa Head in Dunedin. And the charismatic bright green nocturnal flightless parrot, the kakapo. Of course, Sirocco the spokesbird was hitting the socials hard recently as four kakapo were translocated from their predator-free island home into sanctuary mountain Mangototuri. The first time in 40 years the kakapo have been on the mainland. He's got hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter and Facebook, but more than that, he's sort of become this avenue for discussing some of these conservation issues. So they've taken that kind of platform and actually used it to see, like, how do we tell these yarns and how do we sort of live our lives with nature alongside each other better and how do we under- get people to understand what it is that birds need and humans need and da 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 So connected, heck yeah. Yeah, Sirocco's the boy, I reckon. Oof. This is definitely the bird-off equivalent of throwing down the gauntlet. How can Ireland possibly respond? Well, I, I think you will very much align yourself here, Claire, in that every child in Ireland knows what a swallow is. Aha. Uh-huh. Tapping into the judge's childhood nostalgia. Very clever. And a swallow has been used, I would say, worldwide, certainly across Europe, to teach the lesson of migration. Every year it hurls spring and summer and there is so much folklore and 
all that stuff surrounding the swallow and every year people celebrate their arrival to their sheds and their porches and their lean-tos and they despair when they depart again because they know it hurls the winter and the, the oncoming sort of bad weather and uh, all that sort of stuff. So from connecting us to a very far away place, you know, it's 4,000 miles away to sort of southern Africa, it's very much connects the two continents of Europe and Africa and I think there's so much education and kudos and goodwill and everything that the swallow carries with it in Ireland. I think there's just everyone instantly recognises a swallow. Okay, it probably hasn't got the fanfare and the the social media spike, uh, but it has been doing that before it was cool, before social media was there. We had that. We ha- it was on your posters in the 70s and 80s in on your nature table in school. It's the OG. It's the OG of migration and of connecting communities and continents and the world. Tell us about the migrations. What do they do and what time of the year do they do it? Yeah, so my people will know migration is generally north, south, south, north. So in our part of Europe, the birds that hang out mostly in sort of southern Europe and Africa, they come in, in spring, they move northwards to avoid having to compete with all the other species down in Africa where there's a huge density of species around the equator and also lots more predators and things with sharp teeth that are going to eat you. So you want to go somewhere where it's more safe, less competition and less predators. So they come up to Europe to do that. And then the guys that have hung out in Europe all uh, winter will move up further north into places like Scandinavia and and Siberia and places. And then there's a full flip in the winter again where all the water birds mainly um, come down from, from Siberia and stuff because in Ireland, even though we think it's miserable and cold and wet here in the, in the winter. It's nothing compared to a Siberian winter. So they hang out here for the winter. So that's largely what's happening. So with the swallows, they go down south of the Sahara, hang around sort of Congo Basin, Namibia, wherever. Um, and they keep, it's basically the endless summer. And um, they fill up on all the insects that are there that follow the rains in Africa. Literally, people have heard of the rains of Africa. And they fill up and they stay in body condition so they can make the 4,000 mile trip back north. And like people love seeing them and the scary thing is that they're now starting to overwinter in very small numbers in Ireland because they can because it's just not getting cold enough here there's enough insects hanging around in the sunny southeast for them to do that which is kind of terrifying that is yeah a big change and that you know when you say about all of the folklore and the history and all of that from generations of you know Ireland has been inhabited by people for a long time who will have seen swallows arrive from Africa at a certain time of year and leave at another certain time of year. Yeah. And to see that shift because of climate change, that is a dramatic sign. Yeah, but it goes back to pagan times, Brehan laws, all of that sort of stuff. You didn't have watches and the internet and reminders. You were depending on nature to give you your cue when you sow the corn, when you reap the corn, when all that stuff, when you cut the turf, when you, you know, bring the turf home, that sort of stuff. So really, really important from a cultural point of view and a Celtic culture point of view, the swallow and nature is, is hugely important to us. What can I say? I'm a sucker for a tale of a small bird with a big impact. Pitting the humble swallow against the mighty Sirocco seems hopeless. But that silhouette of those long pointed wings and deeply forked tail is embedded in my brain as a signal of joy. The end of the dark cold winters and the coming of longer days. So I choose the OG. (coughs) That leaves us with a tally of two points to New Zealand and two to Ireland. And with some wild and weird categories to come, it's all to play for. To find out who wins, you'll have to tune in next week for the second half of the Great Ireland versus New Zealand Bird Off. 
huge thanks to Ricky Whelan and Jamie McCauley and to Mary Kyo of Port Arlington Enterprise Centre for use of their recording booth. If you want to hear more of his yarns, Ricky also co-hosts a podcast with Birdwatch Ireland called In Your Nature. This episode was produced by me, Claire Kincannon, with help from Justin Gregory and Ellen Rikers. Sound engineering was by Phil Benj and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Find and follow the Our Changing World podcast on your favourite podcast app, and that way you'll never miss an episode. You can find our webpage at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld, and we'll put up photos of the contenders as well as heaps of other relevant information and links. Disagree with the easily swayed judge? We want to hear your say. Find us on Twitter or Facebook where we are at RNZ Science. Who would you vote for? Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Have a great week. Kia pai, bo wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.